thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. We'll see you out there. So I thought what would be fun this year, since we're getting a Resident Evil 4 remake, would be to do a series of episodes talking about the various remakes in the Resident Evil series. And I'm calling it Revisionist Evil. That's a bad pun. I know. You'll live with it. It'll be fine. Um, Anyway, what I'm going to do with this series is that I'm going to play the original game and then the remake back to back and then I'm just gonna do a little kind of solo essay thing about the games you know the differences between the versions the kind of legacy of the original game and how I feel about the remakes etc 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 and I think this will be cool Um, I might not finish them all in the lead up to the Resident Evil 4 remake episode but then you know when we do that episode i can do one of these alone and then also probably bring on justin to talk about you know the new game and do a little review um but yeah i thought this would be fun this is something that i've been thinking about doing for a long time a couple people have asked me to do this um so yeah hopefully this is fun and cool and you guys enjoy this so yeah let's go revisionist evil episode one Resident Evil. This is going to be so confusing because the series is called Resident Evil. The game is called Resident Evil. The other game is called Resident Evil. Let's see if we can survive. Let's enter the survival horror. When it comes to modern horror gaming, the origin point is Resident Evil. Yes, the original game known as Resident Evil, released in 1996 for the Sony PlayStation, is more or less where everything that we enjoy now started. Yes, the game itself was part of a longer and older lineage, primarily branching off of point-and-click adventure games and taking a lot of influence very specifically from Alone in the Dark, which, you know, that game was sort of a then modern attempt at doing a full 3D point-and-click adventure game. However, Resident Evil introduced enough unique ideas and twists on the formula to start its own genre, survival horror. And, you know, survival horror is basically how we get to where we are now. Even horror games that take a very different approach to gameplay, combat, horror, etc. still owe a lot to Resident Evil and the survival horror genre. This fact makes it all the more fascinating that there never was a definitive version of the original Resident Evil on the Sony PlayStation. Now, before I did some research for this episode, in my mind, I remembered there being a few different versions of this game, and I thought, you know, at some point, 
there must have been a version that combined the best of all the different releases into one definitive version, but there wasn't. There's the original version, simply known as Resident Evil, which is, to me, probably the most definitive official release. It was followed by Resident Evil Director's Cut, which is a very, very weird game. It's an extremely mixed bag. On the one hand, it has DualShock support and better control options, but on the other hand, all the music has been swapped for this absolutely horrendous new soundtrack that like, I mean, it's this. This soundtrack itself has rightfully become a meme because it is so completely fucking awful. It was actually composed by like a famous and somewhat controversial Japanese composer who turned out to be like a massive fraud and like, is it any surprise? Now, in my mind, I was getting the original Resident Evil confused with Resident Evil 2, which had a number of different re-releases and a couple of which you could consider to be definitive versions. Almost right away, there was a DualShock edition that once again added DualShock support and some better control options. Uh, there was also a couple of enhanced ports like the Dreamcast and N64 versions that improved greatly on the original release. But with Resident Evil, no such thing happened. There was simply the original version and the director's cut. So you either had to make a choice. You either got somewhat shoddier controls and a lot less options, or you had to put up with the terrible fucking music. It's really, really odd because once again, Resident Evil is a seminal work. It's a massive game changer. It not only started a whole new genre, survival horror, but it also forever changed the umbrella genre of horror video games. This influence even extends to the way in which it was remade, which in and of itself was a pretty revolutionary and forward-thinking move by Capcom at the time. Also forward-thinking, but not really in a good way, was Capcom's decision to rarely ever re-release the original Resident Evil. Now, I think a lot of this is due to the presence of the remake, which we'll talk about later, but some of it seems to be just simple negligence. Like, yes, there was a DS port, but it seems that overall, it's not a game that has been kept on modern systems and serviced out to players regularly. The original Resident Evil is a little bit lost to time, which is a shame because once again, it's the origin point of modern horror gaming. It's an extremely important text within this field. And the remake is so different from the original that they really do feel like two entirely different experiences. Going into this episode, I realized that because of all of these factors, I hadn't actually played the original Resident Evil in a really fucking long time. Like, I don't remember the last time I played it. And I mean, part of that is due to the fact that I've played this game so many times. Like when I was a kid, I used to play this game 
over and over and over. So, you know, I don't really need to regularly replay the original Resident Evil, but also if it was easily available on Steam or on the Switch or something, then like I definitely would have replayed it more than I have. Instead, for this episode, I went to a shady website and downloaded a fan hack, which is called the Resident Evil Ultimate Director's Cut. And it does live up to the name. It's basically a version where they put in the DualShock support and controller options, but also put back in the original soundtrack. So you get the closest thing to a definitive release of the original version of Resident Evil. Returning to Resident Evil in the modern day is fascinating. As I've said before on the show, games like this feel very dated, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I tend to think about things like this being dated in the scientific sense. Almost like, yeah, we can carbon date this thing to 1996 because of the way it looks, the way it plays, and the way it was designed. And that actually makes for a very gratifying experience. Not just to see where so many of the game design tropes that we enjoy today came from, but also to see where game design was at at that point in time. Another thing I've talked about before on this show, I think a lot of the more extreme and sometimes hard to deal with design decisions in this game all come from a place of dealing with limitations. Resident Evil is a game in a design sense that's all about dealing with limitations. If you look at all of the choices in this game, you can see where they came from and why, at the time and given the circumstances, they were actually very good pieces of video game design. So let's start at the top. The creators of Resident Evil wanted to create an environment the Spencer Mansion that was really ornate and gothic and had a lot of atmosphere. They were working with the PS1 hardware in the early days of the PS1, so it simply wasn't feasible for them to render that in 3D. Thus, they came up with the solution. The backgrounds in the game would be static JPEGs, while the character and enemy models would be polygonal 3D models. They would map these models to move over the JPEGs in a convincing way, but ultimately the character wouldn't be able to interact with the background and the camera wouldn't be able to move. Now, if the camera can't move, how do you create a sense of space? Especially if you're trying to create, you know, huge ornate halls like you'd see in an old mansion. Well, you use fixed camera angles that change as the character moves around the room. This is a really slick, solution. Suddenly the possibilities are way more wide open. You can create huge rooms or you can create really striking visuals within the game. However, you also have another problem. How does the player move around these rooms? How do they go from camera angle to camera angle without feeling super lost and confused? Well, direct 3D controls are sort of out of the picture here, especially because when they were developing this, the PS1 controller didn't have an analog stick. What do you do? Tank controls. <laughs> Tank controls are something that seem really, really dated and clunky now, but once again, when you consider that they were designed to have a character move 
through a series of static camera angles and still be able to keep their bearings and orient their character, it's once again a pretty smart solution. The biggest issue with fixed camera angles and tank controls, however, is that it's going to create problems when you're designing a combat system. Naturally, these sorts of visual and control styles lend themselves more to slow-paced games that don't require twitch reflexes or any sort of action gameplay at all. Resident Evil, however, broke the mold by itself being essentially an action game. The workaround here is evident to anyone who's ever played this game for any amount of time. It's that they simplified the action and combat down to its most basic elements. You simply point yourself towards the enemy, press the ready button, and then press the fire button. You have some very, very rudimentary options for aiming, but ultimately, that's about it. It's basically a question of can you get the timing right and are you using the right weapon combined with do you have enough items to actually complete the task that you're trying to complete now once again when you look at all of these things in totality on the one hand you could say it's slow it's clunky it doesn't really work and you're not exactly wrong returning to the original resident evil is an exercise in patience the game is very slow, it's very difficult, and yes, it is somewhat clunky. However, what has not aged even a day in Resident Evil is the brilliance of the overall design. There's so many big picture pieces of design in Resident Evil that are done so well and so intelligently that it's hard to consider the game a failure on any level. Before I get to my favorite piece of design, I do want to talk about the combat and item rationing in the game, which have sort of become the most infamous things about this game. To me, these pieces of design are brilliant because, especially at the time, they showed that Resident Evil was a different kind of game from anything else on the market. Like I said earlier, it's easy to view Resident Evil as a branch off of the point-and-click adventure game family tree, or to look at it as a branch off of the third-person action game family tree. However, it's really a mix of both of those type of games. It has the logic and puzzle design and a lot of the aesthetics of a point-and-click game, especially the more horror-themed ones in the genre. However, it is also explicitly an action game. The action and combat component of the game is extremely important to the design, and it's not something that you could remove from that game. Now, I've definitely said before, if you were around at this time and you played a lot of survival horror games, there were certain games that you just wished didn't have combat. I will say definitively, I don't really think any of the Silent Hill games need combat. And yeah, I'll stand by that statement. Resident Evil was doing something really different with the inclusion of combat, however. Combat in this game doesn't feel great. And sometimes it even feels like it doesn't work. There are super janky elements to it. It's hard to manage, etc., etc., etc. However, the point of its inclusion was to add 
tension and to force the player to be smart and strategic about how they moved around the mansion. Compared to Alone in the Dark, Resident Evil is a much faster paced game. If there weren't obstacles in your way, you would be able to zip back and forth across the mansion without any issues at all. The game would feel kind of empty and it would completely lack tension. By including zombies and later other more aggressive forms of enemies, you create obstacles for the player to overcome. You force the player to be smart and strategic. You have to learn how to fight zombies as well as get around and run away from them. You have to learn the layout of the mansion. You have to know exactly where you're going and what you're doing. Like I mentioned in the Signalis episode, this means that Resident Evil also created a popular trope in the survival horror genre, which is that these are games that are way more fun to replay than they are to play originally. Once you know where you're going and what you're doing, the strategy element in the game really, really shines and becomes a super satisfying and fun part of the game's design. Even on a first play, however, this game is super strategic, or at least it wants you to be super strategic. Simple things like securing a safe room or securing a hallway that you know you're going to have to go through a bunch of times are really, really well implemented in this game. They add a level of tension and a level of horror to the game. This goes hand in hand with the inventory and item system in the game, which, yeah, basically they just don't give you anything. <laughs> it's very clear from very early on that you're not going to be able to fight every enemy that you come across. You simply don't have enough weapons or ammo. You're also not going to be able to take damage from every enemy you come across. You simply don't have enough health items. Once again, the only answer is to be strategic. There's a certain level of understanding you need of the game, its systems, and its controls, but you also need to know where you're going and what you're doing. If you're stumbling around blind, you're going to die, and you're going to need to reload saves or even restart the whole game if you haven't been saving. For many years, I think this was kind of a love it or leave it element of Resident Evil. However, with the recent renaissance of hyper-difficult games, this choice feels a lot more modern. Like, I think this is something that used to bug me about these games that now I really, really appreciate. And I don't know if there's a survival horror game that's as punishing as the original Resident Evil. Like, seriously, I forgot just how many zombies there are in the mansion and how little ammo they give you. It's kind of wild. But once again, I really, really respect it. I think ultimately this game is so well designed that these elements don't feel slipshod or glitchy. They feel very, very purposeful and they add a lot to the atmosphere of the game. But if we're talking about great design, there's one huge looming piece of great design in this game. And it is, of course, the Spencer Mansion. Every time I replay this game, I'm just completely in awe of how wonderfully designed the Spencer Mansion is in this game. If you haven't played it, 
And if you haven't, like, what are you doing? <laughs> but if you haven't played it, the Spencer Mansion is a huge, ornate, kind of 1800 style mansion, but reimagined through the lens of like 90s adventure games. It looks very much like something you would have seen in like an old point and click adventure game. The big twist here, however, is that the whole mansion is full of little traps and puzzles and hidden things to find and collect and unlock. And all of these different things interlock with one another so that the mansion itself becomes one huge puzzle box for the player to solve. These puzzles aren't just wonderfully designed and range from simple item puzzles to actual brain teasers, they're also beautifully paced. I think one of my favorite things about the first couple Resident Evil games is that they have such a beautiful, wonderful, and satisfying loop. Gameplay loops are something that we talk about a lot on this show because personally, I'm a huge fan of survival horror, I'm a huge fan of Castlevania, for example, and I'm a huge fan of a lot of modern games that are heavily influenced by those types of games. Whichever of those categories you're talking about, they all share one thing. For one of these games to work, it needs to have a great loop. And when I say a gameplay loop, I mean it in the most literal sense possible. It's basically a series of actions that you undertake within a prescribed period of time, and it's something that repeats over and over throughout the game. So for example, in a Castlevania game, you start in a save room. As you leave, you usually have a decent idea of where you're going to go and what you're going to do. So you might say, I'm going to go get this item that I need to progress, maybe do a little bit of grinding, look for this other item, and then hit another save point. That is essentially the loop that you keep doing in Castlevania. And yes, the tasks escalate, you might have to fight bigger and bigger bosses. You might end up doing a whole run around the castle to see where you can go now that you've unlocked a new ability, but it's the same core idea. You're going from save room to save room and in between you're completing really satisfying tasks. You're leveling up your character and yeah, that loop is just so fun. It's so satisfying. And regardless of whatever else you like about that game, that core loop is the thing that's going to keep you playing the game. Now, there are a lot of Resident Evil games that have great core gameplay loops, but I love the one in the original Resident Evil. It's just so simple, to the point, and direct. And like I said, because the game is so difficult and unforgiving, it also means that you really need to be on your game. When you're doing a run from one save room to another, there is very little room for error. This adds a lot of tension to the game, but it also adds a lot of fun and excitement. You might be trying to complete one single task, but then realize that you can do something else. And if you manage to do it without wasting an ink ribbon, because of course the game has limited saving, then you're going to be in a much better position for the next loop. As you move through the game, if you're able to accomplish more and more of these tasks, you suddenly find yourself moving further and further ahead in the game. It's super fun and it's super satisfying. Now, when you pair this with the fact that at some point you will be 
crushed by this game and at many points you may be defeated over and over and over, it makes those moments of satisfaction all the more gratifying. This is easily my favorite piece of design in this game. I think it's so great and it really gets to what I've been talking about in the last year or so with FromSoft games, with Castlevania games. A good, difficult core game loop that has a lot of nice push and pull and dynamic so the player feels like they're challenged but they're also accomplishing things. That's the gold standard that all of these games are going for. And it's crazy to think that the creators of the original Resident Evil hit it all those years ago with the very first game in this now very long running series. Another thing that the Resident Evil series nailed on its first try was its very first remake. Yes, the Resident Evil remake released in 2002 for the Nintendo GameCube was and still is a masterpiece. There were so many great decisions made here that I kind of just want to stop and break down how many big picture conceptual things they got right with this remake. The first thing was that they decided to do it in the exact same style. That is a game that uses 3D polygonal models laid over static backgrounds. However, they also used the massive upgrade in computing power available to them at the time to make a much more ornate and beautiful version of that same visual style. The backgrounds are presented in a much higher quality, as are the polygonal character models. And the fact that they only needed to render a couple different models on screen at a time means that they're packed with detail. The game has this kind of quasi-photorealistic style that at the time was mind-blowing and today still is very impressive. Like, the fact that it still looks good 20 years later is pretty amazing. They also use this upgrade in Fidelity to do a lot more interesting things with the visual design and direction. The static backgrounds aren't so static anymore. As you move throughout, you'll see really complex lighting effects and even some sort of interaction between the character and the environment. This kind of stuff is mind-blowing if you know exactly how this game works. And it's, once again, still impressive all these years later. You also notice that a lot of rooms have improved camera angles as well as an increased amount of camera angles you really get a much better sense of the space in the Resident Evil remake. And even some rooms that in the original were kind of hard to figure out where they were and exactly how they worked in a spatial sense, now make perfect sense. I still think in terms of like a traditional survival horror game with fixed camera angles, nobody has done it better than the Resident Evil remake. This is even more impressive when you consider that they didn't just simply copy the manor map from the original game. They changed a lot. There are huge liberties taken here with the design and placement of things within the manor. There are whole new areas. Certain rooms are remixed or moved around. Overall, it has the effect of feeling very different from the original, despite also having an odd sense of familiarity. 
Certain things are exactly the same. Other things are just slightly different. And other things are actually radically different. If, like me, you replayed the original game over and over and over again, it was kind of weird and disorienting, but it's also great because it makes the game feel fresh and new, despite being a relatively faithful remake of a much older game. Another really great choice here was to keep most of the mechanics on a surface level from the original game exactly the same, but to really change the underlying mechanisms that power the game. That is to say, you're doing all the same shit. You're finding keys, you're inspecting items, you're finding ammo and herbs and other healing items, you're putting them in item boxes, you still have a limited inventory, etc, etc, etc. In the original release, you were even still using somewhat tank-style controls. However, it also feels like everything works radically different in this game. The speed here is much, much faster. Your character is more agile, movement is a lot more fluid, and even just the basic actions that you undertake in the game go by quicker than the agonizingly slow pace of the original game. In the later HD re-releases of this game, there are also major tweaks made to the controls so that everything just feels so much more smooth and fluid. It feels like you're playing the original game, but just everything happens much, much faster and with a lot less struggle and forethought. I really love this element of the game because it's sort of like scraping off a layer of grime to reveal all that brilliant design underneath. The mansion is still an incredibly well-designed puzzle box. The game itself is still like a beautiful atmospheric mood piece, but now it's just much easier to appreciate with the beautiful visual design and the improved controls and mechanics. The last thing that I think they did here that I find to be truly, truly brilliant is that they weren't afraid to add new things to the game, and some of these things even radically changing the way that the game plays. You've got new items like the defensive weapons, which let you use a consumable item in order to get out of an enemy attack, which is a seemingly minor change that, once again, also adds a lot to the game, especially if you've played and replayed the original many times. But you've also got more major changes like new areas and even new storylines added to the game. All of these new additions make the game more tense, more scary, and just more interesting. I think the remake has a much more palpable sense of mystery about it. The original game did too on your first play, but the more familiar you became with it, the more it felt like a kind of chintzy 90s action movie. The remake makes some crucial additions like the whole Lisa Trevor story and basically everything surrounding that, that makes the game a lot more weird and mysterious and also more satisfying to play and replay in the future. The most enduring and important addition to this game though, and the one that I really feel like shaped the rest of the Resident Evil remakes that would follow, is the way that they changed how the zombies behave in this game. Resident Evil has long had a problem with using zombies as its main enemy. 
Now the problem isn't necessarily within the games themselves, but it's just a wider cultural thing. That is, zombies just aren't that scary. We've been through multiple periods now of full zombie media saturation. People are familiar with them. People know how they work and know what they do. It makes them just a lot less scary. In the Resident Evil remake, however, they hit upon a couple different things that really increase the freakiness of the zombies. Number one is just render them in a much higher fidelity and make them look absolutely fucking disgusting. Check. Done and done. The second idea, however, is a lot more subtle and it's a lot more insidious. Basically, it's this. Make the zombies unpredictable. So, if you had played the original Resident Evil and you were approaching the remake, you were probably expecting most of the enemies to work in the same way that they did in the original game. For the first half of the game, you're mostly fighting slow-moving, clunky Romero zombies, and in the second half, you have to fight some more high-powered, quick-moving enemies. That's just how the game works. However, the Resident Evil remake throws a giant wrench in this progression with the addition of the Crimson Heads. And the way that you're introduced to these enemies in the game is so brilliant. Basically, as you're playing the game, when you start killing zombies, you might notice that their bodies don't disappear like they did in the original game. Hey, you think, I guess this must be some kind of new thing they added to increase the realism of the game. Okay, that's cool. However, just like in the original game, there are certain rooms that have bodies already placed there. It's not an enemy you've encountered or killed. You assume it's just part of the background. And in a lot of these rooms, it actually is. However, there's one hallway that you will need to go through quite a few times throughout the course of the game where there's one zombie just kind of laying against the wall in a slightly upright position. And you may have noticed that that guy looked a little bit different, but because you're so familiar with this game and how the zombies works, you're probably just like, well, whatever, that's just part of the background. However, at a certain point in the game, after you've gone through this hallway a bunch of times, that fucker gets up. And he doesn't just get up, he attacks you in a way that is faster, more aggressive, and more horrifying than any zombie you've encountered in the game. This is your introduction to the Crimson Heads, and if you weren't expecting it, you probably almost shit your pants. From this point onwards, any zombie that you kill and don't burn their body will come back as a Crimson Head, which is once again a faster, more aggressive, and far more deadly variant of the basic zombie enemy type. This change is so fucking brilliant. It adds another strategic layer to the game, one where you need to be conscious of not only which zombies you're killing, but which zombies you're disposing of after they're dead. If you don't, you're going to end up with a mansion full of incredibly hard to deal with enemies. On your first play of this game, if you're either not aware of this system or you just haven't been dealing with it, this point in the game when the Crimson Heads are introduced can be an absolutely mortifying part of the game. Because if you haven't been burning those bodies, you're suddenly left with a mansion full of these super aggressive zombies. It's so fucked up, it's so scary, 
It's one of my favorite oh shit moments in all of video games. However, it doesn't just work brilliantly within this game, it's something that we see within the other two Resident Evil remakes. In the Resident Evil 2 remake, they kind of copied this template and they made the zombies a lot more weird, unpredictable, and deadly. Suddenly, instead of slow-moving, easy-to-deal-with scrub enemies, the zombies could easily take you out. They were an actual threat. It really, really heightens the tension in that game and makes the experience of playing it so much different from the original. Ditto with the Resident Evil 3 remake, and I can only assume that with 4, they'll do something similar. The Ganados, the kind of zombie-like enemies that you fought in the original game, were still somewhat slow-moving and predictable, and I can only imagine that they're going to make them smarter, faster, and deadlier in the remake in order to challenge the player and, once again, give them a new experience within a framework that is familiar. To me, that's what the Resident Evil remake really, really nails here. And especially once again in the later HD re-releases that improve the visuals and the controls. You're returning to a game, to an environment, to a set of systems that you are intimately familiar with, that you know very, very well. However, you're having a totally new experience within that framework. So many things that happen in this game contradict the original game or just heavily change what happens. Even the narrative itself, which is very thin and in my opinion not really a big part of this game, has been heavily rewritten so that it doesn't feel quite as insanely corny as the original game. It makes for an experience that is just very different, both in terms of mechanics and in terms of its vibe. The Resident Evil remake might still have the kind of thin, corny, TBS-style story, but the way that the game is presented is much darker, weirder, and more ominous. All those additional cinematic camera angles added to every scene and the quasi-photorealistic style applied to all the enemies makes the game really, really freaky. In a genre that relies so heavily on vibe and atmosphere, this change is huge and it completely transforms how we see the original Resident Evil. To me, that's exactly what a good remake should do. It should take a familiar experience and it should be substantially transformative towards it. We should leave having a new perspective on the original game and feeling a certain type of way about it that's different from the way we felt about the original work. This obviously gets into a big debate about the utility of a remake, what it should be, and what it should present to the player, but I think the original Resident Evil is so impressive to me because it hits on a lot of different notes. On the one hand, it was a way to bring the older game to newer consoles, and over the years, it's a way to keep it in print, quote-unquote, in perpetuity. However, it was also a very radically new take on an original work that gave fans of that original work a completely new experience to enjoy. 
I find this really, really impressive because as the years wear on and remakes and remasters become more commonplace, it seems that many of them can't hit both of these notes. They can't satisfy all of these different functions that a remake or a remaster potentially could satisfy. And yet, with this game that is once again 20 years old, that was once again Capcom's first attempt at a big remake, they absolutely nailed it. When I said earlier that there isn't really a definitive version of the original Resident Evil, I mean, yeah, technically that is true. However, I think that the remake really is the definitive version. It's so great. And I love how it still presents you with the things that are, once again, dated and tied to a time and place about the original, but also makes them very, very accessible to any player who decides to pick up this game and experience it. In my opinion, I don't really think there's anything more you can do with a remake. As much as I enjoyed replaying the original, original Resident Evil, and I do wish that it was easier for people to legally buy and play on current-gen consoles, I have to say, I even more enjoyed my time with the Resident Evil remake. And this is a game that I just replayed only a couple years ago. It's just that good of a game. Like I said, it takes everything that was great about the original, it kind of sands off a layer of muck, and presents you with this just beautiful, perfect horror gaming experience. If you haven't checked out this one, or you haven't checked it out recently, and you're a big fan of the other, more high-profile Resident Evil remakes, I highly recommend that you go and replay the Resident Evil remake. It's not only a great game, but I think it's a great look at how Capcom established their style for remakes. Even though it plays really differently than the later remakes, I feel like ideologically, it's in the same place. Taking the original game, making it more dangerous and unpredictable, making it a little bit faster and more aggressive in the way that it plays. All of these things are hallmarks of the later Resident Evil remakes. And you can see them on full display in this original remake. In a lot of ways, it might be my favorite of the remakes. It's just that fucking good, man.